Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Conscious Workspace right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we build businesses and connect you with the right people. I'm Karen Nowicki, and I'm very happy to bring you to today's AZ TechCast show, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. We have got an incredible lineup for you today. Let me tell you a little bit about the AZ TechCast show. It's dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond through the art of the connected conversation. AZ TechCast guests will share their expertise, success stories, news, and analysis about the region's leading startups, companies, and emerging technologies, as well as the critical issues and latest industry and economic trends propelling the state's growing technology ecosystem. We broadcast this series monthly, and the goal of AZ TechCast is to have real leaders having real conversations about what's happening in technology sector across this beautiful state of Arizona. I'd like to thank Arizona Commerce Authority for sponsoring and underwriting this July podcast episode and a word, brief word about the Arizona Commerce Authority is that it is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. The Commerce Authority uses a three-pronged approach to advance the overall economy, recruit, grow, and create. Recruiting out-of-state companies to expand their operations in Arizona, working with existing companies to grow their businesses in Arizona and beyond, and of course, partnering with entrepreneurs and companies to create new jobs and businesses in targeted industries. And with that note, let's introduce the show of I'd like you to help me welcome, if you would please, today's distinguished panel and group of professionals. We have Alexi Veneri. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. I think I was encu- yes. I think I was encouraged to do it with a little Italian accent. Veneri. Veneri, yes. <laughs> Co-founder and C- CEO of Digital Airstrike. Welcome so much, Alexi. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And we also have Ladan Shojaji. I don't know that I pronounced that correctly. It's okay, Shojai. Shojai. Oh gosh, that's beautiful. Shojai. And and the nationality. What nationality is that? It's Persian. Persian. Beautiful. And uh, Ladan is the CEO of Axosoft. Correct. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much. And Dr. Mario Blanco, CEO and co-founder of Nanopec. Did I get that mm. all correct? Oh, uh, you got it all correct. Yay, my fine, my uh, finally an A plus. <laughs> all right. And Aaron Sandine, CEO and co-founder of Zugand Incorporated. How'd I do with that, Aaron? That's it. You got it. Thank you. <laughs> After I've done a couple of shows in one day, sometimes uh, everything runs together. I am so pleased to meet each of you. Today, during our tech cast, we're going to speak with these extraordinary entrepreneurs, and you're going to have an opportunity to share your insight, your personal success stories, how you got started, the obstacles that you've overcome as well as best practices and lessons learned to launching and building an innovative enterprise. Although many people are drawn in by the allure of entrepreneurship, launching your own company is not always easy, right? Can we all say (laughs) amen to that? Ditching the corporate life, yeah, and calling all the shots is certainly enticing. But while there's a ton of potential on the upside, entrepreneurs face many challenges in today's ultra-competitive business world. We've got a lot of ground together 
excuse me, a lot of ground to cover. So let's get started. And I would love for each of you, if you could, to just share a little bit, restate your name, your role with the company, and um, a little bit about your company. We'll start with that so our listeners know who we have on the panel with us today, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty uh, after that. Who'd like to start for us first, please? I don't mind jumping in. I'll jump in. Hi, Alexi. (laughs) Hi. Um, So I had started my company just over 10 years ago. It was actually during the Great Recession. Um, And very similar. We're having a lot of deja vu. I'm super pleased to say we're still here over 10 years later. But, uh, you know, we started it in the midst of very similar kind of things where the world was sort of in turmoil from an economic standpoint, at least. Um, Businesses didn't have a lot of money to advertise. A lot of people were out of work. And it just so happened that the agency that I was working with, my business partner, I was president, had to close down because nobody was advertising. And, you know, in those moments when things can seem the darkest, you just got to think of what are the opportunities because there always are. And I think that's a great lesson for today. And at the time, social media was just starting to kind of be relevant. Uh, There wasn't advertising, there wasn't business pages, but really that's where the consumers were. And I had the idea that, you know what, why are we spending so much time as a marketer, trying to draw people to us, why don't we go to where they are? So we started with that concept 10 years ago, and it's just really grown into really all about how do we use digital technology and tools online to enhance the consumer experience and help get them from a lead to sale uh, in, a, in a more efficient manner. So consumers you know, have a better experience, but businesses spend less. So it's, it's really leveraging technology to facilitate you know, virtual retailing, which is appropriate today. So uh, that's a little bit about us. Excellent introduction. Thank you so much. And I saw Mario's hand go up. Uh, <laughs> Mario, why don't you go bat, get up to bat sure. next? Sure, sure. Uh, Mario Blanco and I am the co-founder and CEO of Nanopec. And Alexi, congratulations. 10 years in business. Amazing. 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh and uh, it was an early diagnosis. And uh, I think that was the key to uh, recovery. And I'm here now. So it's uh, after five years, and they say you are pretty much cured. So it's been 10. Um, so I wanted to launch a company that was focused on early diagnosis. And that's what Nanopec does. Uh, Nanopec develops markets and licenses technologies for early uh, disease uh, detection. Its uh, Metaflorex platform achieves early disease diagnosis by detecting very low amounts of biomarkers like cancer molecules, oncogenes, uh, pathogens like COVID-19, for example, than incumbent in vitro diagnostics. At the same time, it reduces uh, the use of costly reagents by up to 70%. So our disruptive technology enhances signal-to-noise ratios, reducing false uh, diagnostic results. And that's what uh, Nanopec is doing currently. Mm. What a fantastic introduction and uh, life purpose. Would you? Those are my words, but would you say that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the best job I've ever had. And, uh, and I, I work at very nice places like NASA, JPL, Caltech, Kaust. But, you know, being here doing exactly what I want is, uh, is very rewarding. Love it. And now, so if you're listening to us live, this is an audio broadcast, but we're also recording it because of this wonderful Zoom technology, right? So we get to see each other. And Dr. Mario, you are wearing a Center for Innovation uh, lab coat, it looks like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Tell yes, us uh, about your relationship there. Sure, sure, sure. Um, actually, um, I was working in the Middle East when I learned about UACI. And I decided that if I ever went back to uh, the U.S., 
I wanted to start a company and this is where I wanted to be. So I came for an interview. They said, yeah, you're welcome to come here. I, I enjoy very much. Uh, this is a beautiful campus. It's about 20 minutes south of Tucson. I enjoy very much uh, the people who have uh, nurtured my desires to create a company and the support that uh, UICI has given us. So I'm graduating actually, hopefully in a couple of months from, from the incubator. Uh, our company is only three years old. So it's about time. I go into a more commercial space, but um, they offer me some commercial space within the university uh, research park as well. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Uh, let's see, Aaron, Ladan, who would like to go next? Ladan, you go for it. Thank you. My name is Ladan Chodrai. I started a company with my husband, um, well, technically 2004 is the official start but 2002, my husband wrote the first line of code for what we sell today in our spare bedroom mm-hmm. um, while I was still going to college at ASU. Um, here we are, officially 16 years later, still in business. We uh, write code. We write software for software developers. So it's very meta. So most people don't know what we do. They just know the name Axosoft in town, and that's about it. So... Right. Yes, that would be me, right? I knew the name sounded and looked familiar, but had no clue what you're doing. I'm excited to learn more. Aaron, tell us a little bit about you and your company. Yeah, so I'm Aaron Sending, one of the co-founders, CEO. Um, we started Zugend about five years ago, five and a half years ago. Um, prior to starting Zugend, I was the chief, the chief information officer for the state of Arizona under Governor Brewer. Um, so I was worked for Governor Brewer for about six years. I actually helped found the Arizona Commerce Authority while I was at the governor's office. Um, so lots of fun there, but ended up leaving the state, starting our own consulting company. Did a bunch of different things, but over the last several years, we focused in and now we focus 100% on doing Amazon Web Services. So we help companies move into the crowd, into the cloud. So I'm one of those cloud guys. So, um, so depending on who I'm talking to or what we're talking about, it could be uh, fluffy like a cloud or it can get real <laughs> geeky real fast. Good. Well, I I love the the wide breadth of uh, experiences as well as um, industries that we're representing, as well as time frames. So this is going to be a fun conversation. And I always tell our guests before we go on air that really I hope that you'll jump in and ask questions of questions of each other and just you know piggyback um, as if uh, we're all just new networking together. So please don't rely on me for that. And because we're all virtual, sometimes we jump over each other and two of you start talking at the same time. That's quite okay. It's expected. Uh, Now, I had asked this, but then I never um, really listened for the answer because we started getting ready to go live. Do any of you know each other? Have any of you met previously? No, I'm no, seeing head, no. head or shake a no. Oh, very good. Okay, so yeah. again, don't rely on me just having to be the one to ask questions. Part of uh, mine and Steve um, Zylstra's goal, as well as Jill Brownlee, who was uh, so such an important piece of bringing us all together today, and and why I think so many people are members of the Arizona Technology Council is to have these opportunities to collaborate and align and and make those introductions. So uh, let's listen with that ear today. Uh, those of us who are on line together. 
together and in this conversation, of course, our listeners as well. So with that, let's, I would like to hear a little bit about each of your entrepreneurial journeys. Uh, Mario, you had mentioned a little bit about about that, but surely you'll have some more to offer as well. Um, Who would like to start for us? And I'd like to kind of keep it random so it's not always in the same order. Tell us a little bit about how you got started, a little bit more about how you got started in um, as an entrepreneur. And actually, Ladan, I would like to ask you first, if you don't mind, because you gave us a peek into it as well. You said you were still in college and it happened right there in your bedroom, right? Spare bedroom. Spare bedroom. We're lucky enough for a spare bedroom. Very good. You're you're like, yep, spare bedroom. Let's let's make that note. So tell us a little bit more. um, What was the impetus for becoming entrepreneurs? And uh, just a little bit about that for you. So for, um, you know, I won't speak for my husband, but for both of us, mainly me, we are first generation immigrants. And so it goes before we started this company. As a first generation immigrant, when we first came to the US in uh, 1984, it was all that my father could do. He was an entrepreneur before, and then he became an entrepreneur here, you know, with the language barrier and trying to figure out what to do. And so from a very early, early age, I became whatever he needed me to become manager, accountant, uh, call and research this. And this is what age seven, eight, right? So it's pretty early on. And so I was born with it. I mean, dinner conversations were always around business, um, that freedom that you could go anywhere you wanted, anytime. Fast forward, still in college, got married, having a time in my life. And my husband already had the entrepreneurial bug. He'd already started one company, left that one. But then he wrote his second line of code. And of course, as soon as he was like, well, people like this thing. He put it out there for free, you know? And he's like, people are sending me money, even though this is free. They want to buy this. They want me to work on it more. And so little by little, it became second nature. It wasn't like a decision of we're going to be entrepreneurs and we're going to start a business. It was like, let's just do it. And it was whatever needed to get done from... Um, this is so far back, by the way. Uh, you know, Alexi said digital marketing. And, and, and 10 years ago, this all started. This started so far back that um, in order to find groups to market to, I had to uh, literally go online. We could find .NET user groups back in the day. Aaron, you, you kind of geek out with me, right? .NET user groups were a thing. I mean, they're kind of still a thing. Yep, You'd find one. Yeah, right? They're still, they're still out there. Yep. But back then, you could Google them and find them on Meetup, right? <laughs> So I go look at them, make a list of them, call one person, ask that person, hey, do you know of any other ones? You know, finally I hit gold after like the 10th phone call and someone was an organizer for a bunch of them. And that's how I made lists of, okay, how do you get in touch with these people, these influencers that now, you know, you can tell they're influencers because of numbers and analytics. So it was never a decision to become an entrepreneur. It was just, if you want freedom around creating your lifestyle and your um, purpose and pushing an agenda that you have, you have to be an entrepreneur. Mm. We could end the segment right there, couldn't we? (laughs) That wouldn't really be fair to everybody else. Uh, I'm hearing a couple of things in what you shared, and and I just want to point it out. I've I've heard the term accidental manager before. We have a a gentleman here who's a client of mine. He does his show, the um, Project Management Office Hours. And quite frequently, we talk to um, his guests, and they often say that they kind of got into management accidentally, but then quickly had to learn, right, how to to lead. Um, As you were sharing, I couldn't help but think, 
you're kind of an accidental entrepreneur, but at the same time with your background, it was really part of who you are as you grew up uh, and you and you became very scrappy at a very young age. Correct. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. So who else would like to share their entrepreneurial journey? Come on, guys, jump in. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, Alexi, I think that's you. Then <laughs> you, oh, okay. you told you told us a little bit, right? Is there any more to your story that you would like to add? Yeah, I mean, I like a lot of the saying. I think you know, there's probably some themes. You know, I'm sure there's lots of studies done. Uh, my father was an immigrant to Canada, and I'm actually an immigrant to the states. So I think that when you come from a line of immigrants, and you are one yourself, or entrepreneurs, um, I had a grandfather that was very entrepreneurial in Dublin, actually. So it's kind of in your blood. I've always been fascinated. Um, years ago, uh, probably around the time that, you know, Lauden was looking for those groups and starting that line of code, I'd written a book on entrepreneurs and I was fascinated by them and was really researching, like, what does it take to kind of have the guts to start something? Because it's super scary. You're in a corporate environment. And I would tell you, I don't know that I ever got the guts. It was the recession and the, the company I was running shut down. Right. So sometimes it's circumstance, but um, having just always been inspired and saying, why not? Like now's the time, why not start it during a recession? Uh, and that could be really a message for anybody today that's listening that, you know, it, it's a pandemic. Uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully our economy doesn't go the way that it did back in the recession quite that bad. But, you know, there's always opportunities to be had. And I think that if you're kind of that, you know, glasses half full person, you will find those things. So I encourage people to take that step because it's the scariest thing you can do, really. Um, so that's where it started. I was lucky. Uh, another example of so many flashbacks to 10 years ago. Um, I actually already registered for a conference. And unlike now, where they're just canceling them or going virtual, I no longer actually had the agency you know, that had paid for me to go. I still went to that conference, just like you know this program. And thank you for hosting it. I said, you know, I'm going to go network. And it was there that I met some like-minded individuals that said, hey, we'll give you a little bit of seed money, but you know, it's on you. Like you've got to do this, you know this stuff. And nobody really knows. I mean, you know, I didn't have contacts necessarily at Facebook or, or some of the review sites and YouTube, and we just figured it out. And same thing for building that early team. You have to have people that are going to be kind of scrappy and in it with you. And we're all contractors. We had no health insurance. I was like, you know what, guys? Every couple of clients we get, we're that much closer to maybe getting some medical benefits for all of us or hiring someone else. And it started at that kitchen table, you know, and slowly but surely, it's just kind of like a day at a time. And it's, it's really cool to this day. I'm most proud of employing people during the worst time, at least in our city's recent history. I mean, the, the unemployment rate was way worse than today. It was just, you know, foreclosure city, right? This is going back 10 years ago. Um, so that's still what I'm most proud of. I love building a team. And the first rule we had was, uh, I don't know if I can say this on radio. You can't, <laughs> no it's <animals>. internet radio. <laughs> it was literally the first rule. And we still have that because, you know, you come from that corporate environment. I just didn't want the politics. You don't have time for politics when you're starting a company, right? You want really good people working hard. And, uh, you know, you find other people that want to be in it with you. And it, it's been a great journey, you know, really fostering that culture too. I love that. It makes me think of, uh, I've been in business for three years, owning the studio, have had uh, several businesses and have sold a handful, uh, giving me the leverage to do this. 
I, I created our core values with my team. And now even when I sit down with clients, I'll start with those core values and I'll say, listen, mm-hmm. this is a lifestyle business I'm building. I, I'm like you. I want to make sure that I love being with and working with the people that I'm working with. So please look at the, at the core values. They may not all be a perfect fit, but at least if they're things that you're striving for in your business and your professional life, we're a good fit. But if something's on here that doesn't speak to you at all, we likely aren't the platform for you because I, no a-holes. I, I love yeah. that. I probably need to add that in there. Uh, lovely. for customers too, though, right? I mean, as oh, a yeah. owner, right? You get to pick who you do business with as well. And so I think that was really important for us. Erin, you are so right. And I think a lot of early business owners and entrepreneurs oftentimes feel like they're so starving and and they have to just say yes or or they're hoping for the yes from anybody. Would any of you like to speak to that? Can that be dangerous from the very beginning or do you have to say yes for a while? You know, our star, you know, so, so just back, you know, back up a little bit for me, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur got out of school, got a job. And I would say every single time that I got so frustrated, I was ready to quit. I either got a new job or I got a promotion. And it just kind of continued to happen for me, you know, but still at the same time, I always had this passion, wanted to start something. And then finally it was, you know, having, you know, been working at the state, we were working seven days a week, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Um, I used to say that I was aging in dog years. It was the funnest job I ever had, coolest job I ever had, but it was also just so stressful, just so much stuff going on. You know, I mean, the state is a huge organization. It's 32,000 plus employees. Um, we we did over 100,000 phone calls a day on our network infrastructure. There was outages and security attacks every single day. I mean, it's a, it's a big infrastructure. It's a big network, a ton of data, a lot of responsibility. And so, you know, had a lot of success with it, had a lot of fun with it. And so I was just at a point where, you know, I turned to, you know, two of the guys I was working with and said, I'm leaving. I'm going to start my own thing. This is the right time for me. Not getting any younger. If I don't do it now, I probably won't do it. And so... And, you know, I asked, I asked one of my partners, Phil, I said, do you want my job as state CIO? He said, no way. Um, I asked Kieran if you wanted my job. He said, no way. And so the three of us actually quit and started our own thing together. And so, um, so it, which was really nice being able to do it. And, you know, you hear stories all the time that, you know, starting a company, becoming an entrepreneur is so, is so stressful. To me, it was a vacation compared to what we were mm-hmm. doing before. Um, so not to say it was a breeze, not to say it was easy, but the stress wasn't there. The, the pressure wasn't there for a lot of things. Um, definitely hard in the beginning trying to figure it out. So, so now back to your question. Yeah, I think at the beginning, a lot of times, I mean, we had to say yes to anything, right? And we joke all the time that we would take the trash out. We would, you know, we would do anything and everything to, to make a buck at the beginning, right? And, and I would say we probably had to do that for a good solid two years. Um, and then over time, we just continued to focus and, you know, refine who our customers were and what we were really good at. Um, because I think if you do keep saying yes to everything, you never get anywhere. And so that was, that was really important to us. But there was times where we said no to customers too. Um, we actually, I, a funny story, we actually, we were brought into a customer who had been through two other partners and they had gone through an audit from the federal government. One of the federal agencies was one of their big customers. And I would say more than probably 60, 70% of their business probably comes from, from that one customer. But they had a security audit and they were in a really bad position. And they had already been through two partners that didn't help them do what they needed to do. Um, Amazon brought us in to help them. And there was such a tight deadline and there was so much to do that we told them that without going back to the federal government and negotiating with them and saying, hey, here's a realistic plan. Here's where you can be successful. There's no way that you're going to be successful. And, and that's just going to make your customer even more mad. 
right? Um, and so they didn't like our answer. They were really mad at us. We said no to the deal, but we ended up fighting and ended up signing a contract together. Long story short, it's a great customer. We love them. They love us. But you know, there's sometimes where you do say no and it still isn't a no. So yeah, it just depends. Wonderful. Mario, what would you like to add to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just like um, Lodan, I also come from a, a family of immigrants. My grandfather was a, a great entrepreneur, um, even better than my own father. And uh, I used to work before my dad, and I think I was uh, trying to get out of uh, under, him, under him. So I went to college, and I liked science very much, and I decided I was going to be a scientist. So I was one for uh, a long period of time. And so I was at Caltech for about 16 years as a manager of industry collaborations. And uh, we work on what we call impossible problems. These are very difficult problems that industry has. So they cannot solve them themselves. So they come to places like Caltech to find how to, how to get that breakthrough that they need. And it was very challenging. And I thought, gee, um, doing science is great, but actually doing something in, in society that can help others, uh, it, it looks very challenging. So I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And so I, I, I left Caltech. Uh, first company was to create lithium air batteries. And uh, the company is still there. I was the chief science uh, officer. Uh, then I found an opportunity to help a friend who had uh, celiac disease. So I created, uh, I created a product to help them uh, cope with um, gluten contamination in their food. I sold that company out. And then, um, then I got hit by cancer. And then I decided, well, uh, I'm, I'm happy I'm, that I'm here because I was diagnosed er, early. Uh, so what can I do to help others uh, uh, that might be in, in my position? And that's how I got started with, uh, with Nanopec. So that's, uh, it, it's been challenging. Uh, I think of all the companies here, uh, I am the one doing hard, hardware. I think all uh, the, the rest are doing software. Uh, uh, pivoting uh, when you do software is, 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 is very easy. So yes, you can say, Yes, for the first couple of years to almost anything that comes your way. When you have hardware, it's a little bit difficult. It's still doable. You know, you can, you can find new applications. So that's why I decided to focus on a platform. So even though it's, it's hardware, it's a platform that lends itself for about a dozen different applications. So since I started the company three years ago, I pivoted twice. And I, I would advise anyone that, that, that wants to go into hardware companies, you know, and, and people like Elon Musk and people like Steve Jobs and so on and so on, they go into difficult hardware problem issues. Uh, they need to find a platform because that's the one way that will allow you to, to pivot if, if things are not going exactly the way you plan uh, in the first place. I would love for anybody else to share what pivots and shifts have you made over the course of your business as well? Uh, any of you, in addition to Mario, can speak to that? Well, pivots are an interesting thing to talk about, right? Do you mean pivots as far as your core business, what you're doing, or are they pivots in your strategy throughout the year? I mean, like, I think as entrepreneurs, pivot is just that decision that needed to be made to keep the company afloat, and we made it, right? So it's hard to say, you know, you have to be a little bit more specific, like big ones or little daily ones or, you know. I love that request for clarification because uh, as entrepreneurs, we have to shift, yeah. Value propositions, I, I, I would say. If you have to really be, do a big pivot, that would be your yeah. value proposition. Okay, thanks for the definition. We have not necessarily pivoted as far as what we've started. We've always been a company that builds software for software developers. 
it's not a value proposition change, but we did have to pivot as far as what we're creating and completely start from scratch uh, a few years back and start a brand new product, which was a really big pivot. As you guys know, you know, once something is bringing in cash, you start something new. It's it's a big challenge. It's hard. Yeah, it is. I would say, you know, pivot's kind of a weird thing sometimes for for us as well. It's like, you know, it's it's daily challenges, daily choices. You know, depending on where a customer is. I I think you know, for us, it's just been fo- focus. It's just more and more focus mm-hmm. all the time, and you go where customers need to, where they need you, and where the opportunities are. So. Um, I would say from, you know, those first two years were kind of open and broad for us. And back to, we said yes to a lot of stuff to then I would say, you know, about three years ago, just focusing in on one particular cloud platform, getting really good at it, continuing to focus in on that. But there's not a day that it goes by that we're not focusing or pivoting or making a decision to to just get better at what we do. I don't think I'll ever use that word the same. Sorry, Alexi. I think I I agree with that as well, but I could give a specific example that might help some other entrepreneurs. A big thing that happened for us, and I think all of us, you know, when you start a business at some point, you're like, when do you need to raise cash? Should you merge with someone else? Like, what's your exit strategy? Um, If you've got pressure from any investors around some sort of growth trajectory. And for us, uh, we grew actually pretty quickly in the beginning and had a big enterprise level client that needed something done. And of course, speaking to the point about yes or no, you kind of say yes and then figure out how you're going to execute sometimes when it's a big opportunity. That happened was about two years in and we'd just gotten profitable. We hadn't taken any outside cash and we had to make a choice. Uh, we didn't have time to fundraise to then ramp you know, sales or support teams or even our technology team to execute on this big contract. But we still want to say yes. So we, uh, a common board member suggested we do a merger with another company. That's a hard thing to do. That's pivoting as an entrepreneur. You're growing your own thing. And at what point do you go, ah, do I kind of marry someone else, right? Bring my business in with someone else. That's a choice. Uh, That's certainly a big pivot. So we did that. Lots of lessons learned. It worked out. I became the CEO of the combined entity, which was at the time much larger. And then through the years, again, you had that choice to fundraise. You know, how are you going to grow faster if that's what you want? Um, and another pivot we did about two years ago, two to three years ago now, um, we finally got to the point where we started doing our own M&A. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have the choice of if you're going to keep growing, is it all organic? Are you happy with that? Is it more of a lifestyle business? Um, but you can only grow so quickly on your own. And at what point does growing by acquisition make sense? And I've done it in past corporate positions, but not you know as the CEO founder. Um, and now I love it. It's so cool because I actually am finding my roots again with other entrepreneurs. Uh, we tend to look for smaller companies. So if anyone's listening and you want to talk to us, we're actively always looking to bring more together. But it's cool because I can find those entrepreneurs. When I look back at myself seven, eight years ago, they're kind of me. And they're scared and it's their baby. And they don't know if they want to partner with somebody or take on cash. I mean, it, anytime you do any of those things, it's no longer just your baby, Right. So it's been fun for us to, to bring more people in the fold. And um, the talent has been great. Uh, I think that when you, you get to them partner with other entrepreneurs and you know, acquire their company or we merge, um, that's really, really cool because they, they've got that kind of scrappy, whatever it takes attitude. So those have been some choices. And if I had to look back and make a change, I probably would have done more M&A sooner um, rather than really w- waiting like seven years for us to go out and start acquiring companies. Um, and so far, fingers crossed, in total, we've done four. They've all been really successful. Uh, so we're doing more. 
and looking to grow more. Another pivot, um, we did that big merger and this is kind of relevant, I think, for everybody locally. Um, you know, there's so much pressure from VCs and other people to be based in Silicon Valley. You know, why are you in Arizona? Uh, and at the time, the, the company we merged with was much larger and they were in uh, Silicon Valley. I had to fight with my board and, and fight to keep our company here in Scottsdale. And we still actually still have an office in San Jose and, and all of that. But uh, it's been really great to sometimes you do make those hard choices and show that we do have tech talent here. You can grow a technology business locally. Um, and, you know, that was a harder sell, you know, eight years ago <laughs> than it maybe is today. Hmm. I love that you spoke to Arizona specifically. Would anybody else like to chime in with regard to that? Why why Arizona? Um, I know a couple of you already mentioned that in your introduction, but what else would you have to add to that piece? I know Steve and Jill will be thrilled for us to focus on that for a few moments. Uh, I'd like to say something about it. Um, when people ask me, you know, what is an entrepreneur? I typically give that typical description of a person who jumps from a hill while building an airplane. Yeah. And uh, but I like to add that um, the, the communities out there handing handing you the tools, and and that's very important. And I've been very lucky to have a community that is very supportive. So, uh, particularly the Tucson area, I don't know much about Phoenix, uh, although I've been also um, very well supported by by the Flynn Foundation. You know, we were recognized as one of the top uh, uh, six. Uh, biopharmaceutical biosciences companies uh, in 2019. And with that came a lot of recognition and uh, it was really uh, supportive of the community and here also in Tucson. So uh, I think validation uh, is it's, it's key uh, and, and finding that in your community uh, and particularly in, in Arizona is, is very rewarding. I'll, I'll jump in on the Arizona thing too. When we first started our business, we were focused 100% on Arizona. Um, figured, you know, it's a big enough backyard. There's enough businesses for us to, to work with, enough business out there for us. And something kind of interesting happened kind of early on from the standpoint of there were so many companies that are based out of Silicon Valley, but have, you know, second, third offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale and Chandler and Tempe that we, you know, started picking up some of those as customers. And, and what was interesting to us was in, at that time, we still had an office and we were, we were, you know, still kind of doing that, but we would offer to go down and, you know, meet in their office. And they're like, you know, that's fine, but you know we're going to bring the people in from California or from other places in on this phone call, so we might as well just do it virtual anyways. We're like, well, that's great, you know. So as we started to do more and more of those with these companies that had these offices in, in Arizona, we recognized that hey, we don't have to just limit ourselves to Arizona. You know, we're doing cloud. You know, you can do cloud from anywhere, and you know, so from there it started to get really interesting for us. So started in Arizona five years ago, but now we've got customers throughout the entire West. Um, throughout the Northeast, several in Chicago, multiple in Canada. Um, these last couple of months have been amazing for us too, because I think it's just, it's gone even more virtual for us. Um, so we just picked up two in the UK, one in the Netherlands, one in Australia, two in, in South America. And so um, I think the, the nice thing for Arizona too, is we are so, you know, geographically located, you know, close enough to, to California and to a lot of places to hop on a flight, get there, get back in one day, makes it really easy. Um, plus, a lot of our customers, when they come to us, they've they've tried offshoring, they've tried working with other partners, um, and they've had challenges, they've had problems, and now they're looking for somebody that is local or U.S. based. And so that's actually been a big selling point for us. 
The other thing I would say from a local perspective, back to tech talent too, that Alexi was talking about, you're, you know, there's, there is a lot of talent out here. And, you know, we, we've been really focused on building that community and that tech talent in the community. Um, we have a 13-week program where we teach a bunch of AWS capabilities and skills. Um, and then that does a couple things for us. It, it gives us a pool of people and resources that we can pull from. Um, plus then a lot of the people that go through our classes have other jobs, they work for companies, and they realize and recognize that some of the stuff that we do isn't that easy. And so it's also a great selling tool for us too through the training program. Arizona is great. We love it. You know, There's a lot going on there and it's just continuing to grow for us. So I've got a little to add to this, uh, but it might take up too much time. So cut me off if you, if you need me to stop talking. For us here, we made a conscious choice. We made a conscious choice to stay here for everything that everyone just shared, that community, the tech talent is here. And the conscious choice we made was, do we want to be a small fish in a big pond or do we want to be a big fish in a small pond? We made the conscious decision to stay in Arizona, to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. With that comes opportunities. And the opportunities, um, I could say even with 2020 hindsight now, they were better. It was a better decision. And, and part of it is the type of business we're in, we're a SaaS business. We sell internationally. You name the country, we've sold to them. Therefore, for us geographically, if we were located in San Francisco, and if we wanted to raise and if we wanted to network, sure, that could have been a choice that we had. And would it have been better? Maybe, maybe not. But as far as bringing in talent for us and being able to offer these packages that are unbelievable, Arizona provided that because land is cheaper. Cost of living is lower. So you can give much higher uh, signing bonuses. We've actually recruited from California multiple times. And once we recruit from California, we keep them here. Now, historically, up until March, we were a um, 100% non-remote company. We are a tech company that was non-remote. Every single employee was in-house on the same, uh, under the same roof. And that created a lot of opportunity and collaboration. So we could move quite fast because the person you need is right across from you. Now, one other piece of information you need to know is we are also a bootstrapped, organically grown company. Till this day, we've raised zero funds. And so we have no board. The decision makers is myself and my husband. And we operate where we just kind of go. So you don't need to stop and ask permission. Which, which again means you can grow fast. You can make decisions. So you have a great hire right in front of you. You want to offer them more. You, you just can because you just qualified them. No one else needs to approve that for you. Within the years we've been in industry, we have many, many talented individuals who've been with us 10 plus years. And they continue to grow their talents, their skills. They go back and get their master's. We've got uh, software developers that have their PhDs. But what also happens with that community that Aaron was talking about, being a bigger fish in a smaller pond, you go back to ASU and you recruit from there. You take interns in, you have workshops, like just like Aaron was saying, he's got this program for 13 weeks where he'll train people. Now it's good for him. It's great for the person he's teaching, as well as these people get a taste of who he is, what his leadership is like. Do they want to stick around? And that provides a lot, right? And so 
because of the way we sell, meaning we're international, we're everywhere. Someone can come on our website. We actually don't even have, we, we do have salespeople, but it's, I mean, we have very, very few salespeople. And those are for enterprise customers, which we don't even like too much. We sell, people come online, they purchase and go. So geographically, we, it didn't matter where we were. And since we didn't want to raise, San Francisco wasn't that ideal. And in San Francisco, you don't get people staying one, two, you know, more than two years. They, they hop. They hop a couple of places. Their salaries are extremely high with very low uh, experience. You've got someone making six figures and has been out of college maybe two, three years. Why? Because they keep jumping. Now you've got a high-paid person, low skills. You still have to teach them, but in order to bring on staff, you, your payroll goes up, your overhead goes up. So for us, it just made more sense to keep them here, train them here, and, and reward them with lifestyle, with cash, with bonuses, and then say, I, I think uh, I, I think Alexi said it, where we're geographically located close to Phoenix Harbor and can go anywhere, right? Just a one-hour hop on a, on a Southwest, it's basically a bus, right? Back and forth anywhere you want to go. So I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get on my soapbox, but it was a <laughs> conscious decision, right? Like there's a lot that Arizona provides you with. Yeah, I would say exactly that was our experience. And um, we actually didn't raise money either. Uh, so very bootstrappy, but uh, inherited a board and some investors from that merger. Uh, but I would agree. And we've, we've had success recruiting from California. I also agree that once they're here, yeah. they, there's something else that's better. Uh, and they have just a, a better standard of living at a lower cost. Um, and you know, when, when companies really look at the cost of turnover, I 100% agree. Than a Silicon Valley or other cities, when they are, you've got these young folks job hopping. They don't get your culture. You have to retrain to, mm-hmm. you know, recruit the the next person for that role. I mean, that's a huge distraction. So that is a huge benefit. I would agree to Arizona. And it's nice that you know, nice pros and cons, right? It's good that other people are seeing that. We saw that, you know, eight ten years ago. More people are basing more of their um, offices here. I think. Um, you know, Aaron was talking about that where we saw that too. It was more like call centers and stuff were based here as their second office, but now there's actually more development shops. That's good in a way because there's more talent in the Valley. Uh, it's negative because there's more competition. We were, you know, some of us on the line have, have had a sort of exclusive, you know, way to farm for talent here for a while, but I think above and beyond, it's amazing. So it's exciting to see kind of the gut instincts of some of us that really were trying to support technology here early. It's actually come to fruition. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely a great time to be in Arizona. Mario, you had mentioned the Flint Foundation. And earlier this week, I had the pleasure of having Arizona Association for Economic Development on with me, uh, both uh, Mignon Hollis, who's the current oh, yeah. president, yes, and Russ Yelton. And uh, they both, they had met through uh, a portion of the Flint Foundation. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear that again. And it's so fascinating to me. We had one show uh, with us for the first year I opened the studio, and it was called AZ Brandcast. And it's um, some gentlemen who uh, are in marketing and very heavily involved in the startup community here in Arizona. And the conversations that we had with the guests that they brought on board were always around the idea that like, who is Arizona, right? We're still kind of the Wild West and the new frontier. And and, um, and so who are we? And, and the more I've been doing interviews such as these, um, there is this tech component, this culture component. And and, and this opportunity for all of us to to find way 
ways to work and, and build each other up. I mean, I don't know what to call that, but I think that's an example of the, the Wild West and the frontier. What are your thoughts about that as you look and reflect on not only your business and being a tech company here in Arizona? If you were to give Arizona a label, uh, what, what would you say it would be? Opportunity. That's what I would call Arizona. Um, I, I like to to follow on that issue of, of the Flynn Foundation. And also, uh, there are companies here uh, that are not represented. And I think they are the future, also part of the future of Arizona. And uh, uh, in, in some respect, uh, SaaS is uh, uh, probably one of the best ways to succeed, um, to pivot. Um, I think all of you have said that you did not have the need to raise funding. On the other side of the scale, you have people, and some of them are very good friends of mine, who are developing therapeutics, drugs, um, delivery systems, and they have the hardest time trying to get their business off the ground because they don't need uh, you know, $100,000 or $50,000. They might need $10 million, $20 million just to get off the ground. If Arizona has a, a, a weak spot, I would say that part of it is it, it doesn't have the well-developed uh, VC uh, uh, market that, <laughs> let's say, San Francisco, Boston, uh, or even San Diego may have. So we, we have to go out. Some of these uh, companies, they, they, go, they go to Boston, they go to San Francisco looking for, for venture capital. Uh, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm more of a nanotechnology hardware company. I, I don't, we, don't, we don't make any drugs. Uh, but I find that validation uh, is is key to to the to the success of a young company, and I'm the youngest uh, representative here. Uh, the validation can come in many different places. Uh, getting money from uh, angel investors is one way of getting validation. Uh, being the target of an acquisition, I think Alexi talked about this, is another way. Of, uh, by the way, uh, Nanopec has uh, has fought already. Uh, uh, an acquisition. I'm not so sure it was a smart move, but uh, it would have caught a lot of uh, potential businesses for us. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, we were lucky to get that type of validation. But I think the ultimate validation is customers, and the the, the, the other three guests here prove that that is the case. That they have customers, uh, maybe even from the from the start. So getting validation directly from customers, sales, and and and, and getting your product out there is is probably even a stronger validation than, than getting VC uh, capital. So I would say uh, as, as a word of encouragement for anyone starting any company, whatever that company is, uh, look at the customers and, and try to do sales. Try, try to get to, to selling a product as soon as you can. There is a huge ecosystem uh, here in, in Arizona. And I would say a, a little bit, uh, I would say at times a little bit overwhelming to be given so much advice, to be told uh, so many things can go wrong that uh, at times you are like, oh, what do I do now? You know, it, it, you freeze. So you need to listen to, you, to, to your heart and you need to work hard. Sometimes ignore. I think uh, Aaron said you have to say no sometimes. And, and, and I think I find that to be true. At times you need to say no. Otherwise, you, you won't get ahead. All right. I think a job well done. huh? <laughs> we do have just about 10 minutes left for our conversation. Mario had mentioned the word opportunity for Arizona. Is there another word or phrase that comes to mind um, kind of along the theme that I was suggesting? Is there any, any other way that you might describe Arizona to folks who aren't part of our ecosystem? I think it's well positioned. 
right? You know, I think all of us have kind of said different things about where Arizona is and kind of that in investment. And I, Karen, you were kind of talking about that. I, I think there's even a nonprofit organization that's called the Arizona We Want. Um, it's been around for quite a while and they kind of look at multiple factors from economics to education, jobs to, I, I think one of the most interesting ones, I think it's theirs where they have even a survey of like kind of the friendliness of neighborhoods and things like that, right? And I think those are important things to think about from a community and and what's happening. And I, and I think Arizona has made those investments and they've been thinking about this for for some time, trying to t- trying to create that Arizona that we want. You know, Arizona is a, is a relatively new state, which comes with a lot of pros and cons in some ways, right? We're not like a lot of the East Coast states where they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're just barely over 100 years old. So we're probably, you know, we're probably lacking. We probably miss some of the problems and challenges that some of maybe those older, more mature states have. But on the other hand, we're still a big melting pot where no one's from Arizona and, you know, we're, we're building and melding all of our cultures together. Right. And so, so I, I think, I think we are well positioned. I think there is a lot of opportunity and I think, I think there's been massive investments that have been made over the last couple of years. And yeah, we may be short with some of that capital and, and some of those other opportunities. I hear that quite a bit, but you know, again, and I know we said not to talk about the C word in here. Um, but I, I think even that's starting to change things. And, and do you have to be in Silicon Valley? And do you have to be sitting right next to somebody in order to do business and to do things? And and I think I think it is going to be a different world moving forward. And I think Arizona's made those investments, has that infrastructure to to, to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for our listeners, the C word I'm thinking, Aaron, was COVID, right? It is COVID. <laughs> I, was not gonna it. I wasn't going to say it. I, I was going to, and we won't go down that rabbit hole. And for our listeners, I had said, you know, the last couple of times we've had to have conversations about uh, COVID and the quarantine and, and all the things that are going on for companies as they've made decisions uh, and, and had to keep their head above water. Um, so thank you. I just wanted to clarify for those who weren't uh, benefiting from our previous conversation. I'd like to um, end our, our time to together with a couple rapid fire questions, if we could. And again, we'll just let you guys kind of pop in and share this. The first question is, what do you know now that you didn't know before you became an entrepreneur? It's okay to be happy and not stressed. Yes. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, I agree. I was going to piggyback on what Mario said. I mean, the faster that you start making money, the better you're going to be. I say, um, you know, when you're kind of in the rat race in corporate, world. You're really worried about making mistakes. I think that making mistakes as an entrepreneur is like a daily thing. And what I've learned is try a bunch of things. It's okay to fail because you actually learn more from that. I know that sounds very cliche. It's a great environment and that freedom to fail and learn and try again and pivot daily. Like I I think when you brought up the pivot question, we're like, we pivot all the time. (laughs) Where I think when you're in corporate America, before you're an entrepreneur, you're just a little more rigid and you're worried, you know, oh, what's my boss going to think? So there's freedom in that. And I think I've also learned, I don't know that I could ever just go back to a corporate job. <laughs> you know, once you've had that freedom and that control and, you know, you're just, now I'm a different breed. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Mario, how about um, I'd like to add, yeah, pay it forward. Um, I, I work in Silicon Valley and you, you talked a lot about Silicon Valley. I worked there for three years and uh, uh, my experience there was uh, uh, often the case that I met people who were successful and uh, they would uh, offer to help you with, without charging you any money, you know, just either offer you advice or introduction, maybe capital, 
And that's something that comes from the spirit of being a pioneer. You know, California was, was, was you know, the pioneer state. And so people on, on, on the way to California, they, they, their car broke down and they help each other. So by the time they got there, they were used to this idea of, oh, you know, we help each other. So if, I, you know, Arizona, I, I found that spirit here, but I think it needs to be reinforced even, even stronger. If you're successful and you have capital and you want to help others, maybe a merger, maybe an acquisition, maybe start a new company, you know, create the jobs, you have to pay it forward. You have to get to that point where you, you, you made enough money and uh, maybe now it's time to to put something back in the community in, in a reasonable way and, and, and pay it forward. So uh, a lot of favors were done. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all the favors and all the help that I received. So uh, I hope to be in the position of, of, of helping others. So I, I think the community will be strengthened by that concept, uh, you know, pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Love it. Now, next rapid fire question, looking ahead to the future, how do you plan on growing your business? What's next for each of you? if you're willing to tell? <laughs> well, I just became remote for the first time, so I don't have to just recruit from Arizona. I could recruit anywhere. That's, that's big for me. We're just doing that. So it's great. I, I, I like to, to respond to that very quickly. My board, and I do have a board, uh, pushed me to put uh, my products online. And I, I, I was resistant to that, but I did it. You know, they asked for it. <laughs> okay, there's the product. I can sell stuff, you know, validation, whatever. But, but my, my heart was always in just catering to a small number of companies, you know, being their R&D, uh, solving their most difficult problems and, and providing, you know, a technical support uh, second to none. And uh, it turns out that that's how the company is growing right now. We are, we are getting those companies, big companies interested in our technology, and uh, we are beginning to help them solve the most difficult problems. So I'd rather concentrate on 25 to 50 companies than 10,000 customers. I mean, that, that's how I like my company to be. I think I touched on it, but we're doing more M&A. And I think the big thing for us is we want to do larger deals and still do small ones. Um, and, and to even just think even bigger. You know, there's no reason why we can't have a big IPO one day, why we can't be a nationally known name, you know? So it's given us the confidence and we're just going to continue down that path. And I I really do believe with all the changes we talked about, you know, people working remotely and consumers now maybe even be more comfortable to do more online. That's just opened up more doors for us. They're not really new doors. I think that a lot of what we did was encouraging people to do business online. And it was a nice to have before when they could still walk in to a retailer or walk in, you know, somewhere, pick up their phone and, and, you know, it's more of a necessity to embrace these tools. So in a weird way, I mean, we're not happy about what's going on in the world and with everyone's health, but we're just going to find more ways to keep doing what we're doing in a bigger way. You know, times are really interesting. They're kind of, you know, hard for some organizations and it's accelerating other organizations. And I think we're at a really interesting position where the services that we offer and the capabilities that we offer are very helpful for some companies to reduce costs and to optimize their operations. Whereas on the other side, we have a lot of customers that are looking to accelerate their innovation. And so we're kind of playing both sides of the coin right now and helping different organizations in different ways. And I think that's really exciting. Um, But I think there still is a lot of unknowns and a lot of organizations that are going through hard times. Um, And that's both from growth, but also from, you know, from losing customers and in, in, in business right now. So I, I, you know, these next couple of months are going to be really interesting and everybody's trying to 
guess, you know, what's the new normal look like and what are things going to be like a year from now? And, you know, I'm hoping that I'll get to see a, a movie in a movie theater at some point. But, you know, it's it, you don't know with some of this stuff. But but I, I'm really excited from where we're positioned and, and the customers and, and people that we're working with right now. So we took our staff to the drive in. Cars and they changing, put your right? name on the marquee, guys. Go up to Glendale. It was actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's we'll it's find new ways yeah. for moving. Yep. No, it, it again, back, what is that new norm and what's going to happen? And I, some of it's really exciting and some of it's fun, you know, and I think we've got to be creative, you know, to keep our sanity in a lot of cases. I think, Ladan, you, you were the one who mentioned it very, very early on in our conversation that it, that the time like this right now uh, creates those creative opportunities. What can be born out of it, right? I mean, a couple early, early on in the pandemic, I was asking guests, like, what's the silver lining? And, and much like the word pivot, it kind of outgrew it. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that today. Uh, but, but when we are in, I'm going to use the word chaos with little quotes around it. But when we are in chaos and the unknown, that's the time where businesses and ideas and collaborations can be born, right? And even something as wonderful as saying, okay, well, we can't go sit in a movie theater, but gosh, gosh darn it, we can go, you know, do a drive-in and bring that back, whatever that is. And I want to thank you all for sharing not only your entrepreneurial journeys with us today, but just the wisdom, uh, the tenacity and the grit and everything that you bring to your company and the people you serve. It was really fun. Such quite the melting pot today. You all represent such different aspects of businesses and technologies and timelines. And I said that in the beginning, but it's been a real treat to get to know each of you. Um, As we close out the segment, if you could share uh, just a brief um, little piece of nugget to maybe an entrepreneur who may be having difficulty right now, what's the one piece of advice you would have for them? And then end that um, statement with, again, repeating your name, the name of your business and where we can find you. I'll take a quick stab at that one. Thank you. What I would encourage people to remember is use the word chaos. During chaos, it's even more important to focus. Why did you start the company? What's your your goal? What are you doing here? Don't let the external noise distract you from what's happening. And just like Alexi said, you get innovative and creative, right? Inside your company, do all those things that you said, what if, right? We're going to have a tailgate party. When we bring our team together in an all-person, we're going to go in the parking lot and have a tailgate, socially distanced, right? You just have to be open to ideas and stay focused. Love it. And tell us again the company that you represent and where we can find you. Axosoft. You can find me online. I'm Just Google my name, Ladan <laughs> Shojai. I'm out there. Yeah, good. Thank you so much for kicking that last piece off for us. Aaron, how about you? You know, I echo that. You know, I think I, I think love and empathy is a is a really big thing right now. I think you've got to put yourself in people's shoes. People are going through all sorts of different things, right? And I think by taking that approach, you know, I think everybody's kind of said this to a, to a point, but, um, you know, a little bit what Mario was saying was that pay it forward. But with that love and empathy, you know, putting yourselves in there. And I totally agree with uh, Ladan. Is it Ladan? I'm sorry. Yeah. Focusing is just so critical and really knowing what your customers need and focusing on helping them and delivering value is absolutely critical right now. And Aaron, again, where do we find you and your organization? So Aaron Sandine, I'm with Zugand and I am all over the internet as well. So yeah, LinkedIn, Zugand.com. Yep. Look forward to connecting to anybody. Alexi probably loves hearing each of you say that, right? You got to be out there. You already linked in with me. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just on it. 
<laughs> Alexi, how about you next? What's a little piece of wisdom for maybe a struggling entrepreneur? And, and again, where can sure. we find you? Well, a couple things I'd say being bifocal. I, I always tend to use that, that term. Um, you got it. Devil's in the details every day, but also, you know, look forward, remember that vision. And if you can inspire that with your team, you know, whatever you're going through today, good or bad, there's always that bigger picture as well, but you got to try to be bifocal. I'd also say celebrate the success, big, small, whatever those wins are with your whole team. Uh, we started something right from the beginning called bullseyes. And every time we got a new customer or a team got a win, or we got like, you know, some sort of cost savings, we'd send it out to the company bullseyes. And at some point I remember somebody saying, Oh, I'm getting so many of these bullseyes. Should we stop doing this? I'm like, that is not a problem. <laughs> and to this day we do bullseyes, you know, we do, we've always done it and it helps you even those little wins keep you going. Um, so find ways to celebrate that. Um, and sometimes our wins are just, we do a lot of charitable stuff. So we're, we're just today, our whole team loaded up a lot of supplies uh, for those that are less fortunate. And, you know, all of those wins, it's not just a sales win, right? It's not just getting that next dollar. I think it's really important to, uh, you know, just echo what um, my wonderful colleagues and peers have said around uh, on this call today. You know, it's paying it forward, giving back, having that empathy, and uh, just enjoying what you're doing is really important. But those are a couple of things that we do here. Excellent. And Alexi, where do we find you? Yeah, uh, Alexi. It's Alex with an I at digitalairstrike.com. Uh, you can find us online. Same thing, LinkedIn, all over social media, of course. But yeah, we really, uh, we, we appreciate this community. We appreciate this opportunity. So thanks for having us on the, on the call. Our pleasure. Mario, bring us home. Oh, okay. Um, that's a tall order. Well, um, <laughs> I, I think that change is at the heart of success, but change can be very stressful at times. Uh, I didn't imagine I had to wear so many hats on a mm. daily basis. So managing stress is, uh, is key. And the other word I used was opportunity. I think the two go hand in hand. Um, I like to say that stress is the result of procrastination. So if, if you don't procrastinate, if you organize your, your, your workflow, uh, then you will be ready for the opportunity when the opportunity knocks on your door. Uh, since you don't have a lot of things uh, you know, in the line, you, you can just take that opportunity, run with it. So do not procrastinate. And, and I think that will help you with uh, the, the level of stress that you might experience uh, running a new company. And uh, my name is Mario Blanco, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Nanopec. And you can find me on LinkedIn, all social media, and www.nanopec.com. Thank you. So good. Thank you again, all of you, for joining us. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. And today's AZ TechCast was brought to you specifically by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority, for this wonderful conversation. And if you are listening and interested in being a podcast, per- excuse me, podcast participant or sponsor for the council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Some media leans left, some leans right, and Business Radio X, we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. And if y'all stay on with me for just a moment, greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for being here. (music) 